Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. Just got off a podcast recording with my friend Thad Spencer. You all have heard him possibly earlier. We had this show with him pre-accident. This is post-accident. For those who didn't hear, Thad went in real hard uh, on a weird towing accident out in Minnesota, Western Minnesota. He and Alex Peterson were going for a big day, and I actually got the call on this heading to U.S. Nationals in Chelan in 22, so it's been about 18 months, and this is kind of the comeback story. It's all positive. It's uh, it's not doom and gloom. It's all cool. Just the takeaways, funny stuff that happens in the ER, uh, funny things that happen when you're on fentanyl, and just the comeback, uh, the, the fear, anxiety, the anxiety, the, the, sorry, the fear injury and the anxiety and just the, all the things that go into, should I fly again? Should I not? You know, family dealing with having somebody pretty broken, but it was hundred percent recovery. In a lot of ways he got very lucky and we need these mistakes. We talk a lot about just the how valuable they are in creating who we are and who we become and who we will become. So it's a great story and we had a lot of fun with this and as always when when we go in there's a lot of learning. So enjoy this this second edition of Dad Spencer. Just before we get to the show, just wanted to say happy holidays. Enjoy this holiday season. I know many of you have travel plans down to Colombia and Valle, South Africa, Brazil, wherever this crazy sport takes you. Enjoy, be safe. And if you can, this show will always be free and will always be ad free. But the way we make it possible is through your support. If you can support the show, all we've asked for is a buck a show. If you can do that, awesome. If you can do more, even more awesome. Various ways to support the show through the website. Go to cloudbasedmayhem.com and find them all. You can also do it through Patreon and other ways, even through crypto. So thank you for making this possible. I appreciate it. Your support covers all the behind-the-scenes costs, travel to go interview people and editing and storage and all the things that go into making it, it come to life. Without you, it's not possible. So thank you very much. If you've been listening for a long time and haven't been able to support us, but you're in a position now, it's the holidays. Great time to do it. We've also got lots of merch on the website. You can get cloud-based man trucker hats that are really cool. Each one's totally unique. More Patagonia t-shirts with the logos. I've got some new stuff coming in just after the holidays, so keep an eye out for that. And thank you for making it possible. I appreciate you all. Thanks for listening and enjoy this show with dad. Cheers. Miles talking to Thad Spencer. This is kind of our take two after the hit. Should we call it a hit? Big hit. <laughs> I like that. It's a big, it's been a big hit. It's been a really big hit. <laughs> all right so here we go that uh good to have you back on the show this is is take two 
And uh, as I just said, this is after the hit. <laughs> you 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 made a lot of hits in your life with music, and now yeah. now you yes. hit the freaking ground pretty hard. So yeah, we're gonna talk about uh, we're gonna talk about all that. I was just actually this morning thinking oh, this is gonna be fun. I'm gonna talk at that again, and I remember the call from Alex Peterson, who was you know incredibly. I don't know if you know this, but he was kind of the first air jedi that i knew when i got into paragliding i remember flying out at bingen on the other side of hood river for one of my very very first times i was a super i don't even know if i had my p2 i was brand new cracking the egg and alex was you know taken off i don't think he had a helmet his shirt was wide open yeah. <laughs> just you know this hair flowing it take you know yeah and, and i'm like oh my god that's alex peterson you know i think he had just flown yeah. or maybe was about to fly circumnavigate around mount hood and which i don't think had been done and you know just this the coolest kid on the block you know and and he and i was driving up to you know so now this is years 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 later that was back i think that was 2004 or something and and i was driving to chelan for the nationals and and he called me up and you know kind of frantic and it you know calm but frantic and just hey man uh you know thad went in hard i need your help and i need you know <laughs> we need to call some people and i just whoa dude what <laughs> was he looking was he looking for money was he trying to profit <laughs> off my injuries do you think do you think that that's what that was <laughs> well you know it was funny because it was just another you know you it always when the shit hits the fan you're always going god i wish i had this and i wish i had this but basically he was looking yeah. for family contacts you know he he didn't have your wife's oh, number I know. that was a really that was a really interesting lesson about communication and sort of when we're flying with each other we should have each other's contact information i know it sounds morbid we? we need a spreadsheet we need a you know we need we, we've started these telegram groups or whatsapp or whatever those, those are really helpful but yeah man it's just always holy cow i don't even have this dude's wife's family i don't have a way to contact anybody no and it wasn't lovely how my wife found out um so you know this as a as a man that's maybe maybe you know, been injured. I don't, I actually, I, I want to ask you about that, but um, oh, dude, I've been injured I've so many really times, been... but not from paragliding, knock on wood, but yeah, I've been, Oh my oh, God, okay. nine knee surgeries, both shoulders. And yeah, I've been hurt plenty. And you want to kind of control the communication of how you've been injured to your loved ones. You know, you want to kind of, you, you want to spin that to be the best possible. I'm in the hospital. I'm on my back with a lot of broken bones, but Hey, 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 everything's fine, honey. How you doing? You know, Hey, I'm good. You know, I wanted to be able to make that call. And, um, you know, it takes a while. I was, I was flown by a helicopter into the hospital and then you're in the ER and then you get CT scanned and then you get told what to do. And then you go to the ICU and all that time I didn't have a phone and Alex was frantically just trying to, you know, play catch yeah. up. And so he did get my son's, um, uh, phone number called my son and my son gave him I think somehow all they got was the address of our place in Wisconsin. So we have a place in Minneapolis and we have a place in Wisconsin. And I had been in Wisconsin, left to come fly. So I drove back to Minneapolis about two hours away, went flying that day, then got injured. And so she's at the other house. And the way that she found out I was in the hospital was the sheriff pulled down the driveway. So she knows I've been flying, yeah. right? But the sheriff car you know what comes that's down two, be. two really... 
yeah, two really nice sheriffs. They've got those hats on, you know, those sort of like Canadian Mountie hats and and that stiff polyester uniform and the freaking gun belts and such. And, and they come and, and they, they said, um, um, uh, Miss Spencer, are you the wife of Thad Spencer? And, you know, her knees went oh, under man. her, you know, she just assumed really I was dead. Man. And then. Yeah. So so Alex and I and anybody else I'm flying with, I think we've learned that, you know, maybe we should just share contact information before we take a flight. If we don't, if we, you know, if you're in a little group or whatever, you know, when I go to Columbia and places like that, we definitely have that information yeah. for each other. Um, yeah, but it's but one of these 2020 yeah, hindsight really things, isn't it? I mean, it's you, you just you don't think about it till it's a little bit too late. Uh, we we did a show, <laughs> did a show with this guy Richard Barber uh, and a couple of his buddies that had a had an adventure go pear shaped in in Pakistan a while back, and the way their loved ones found out was through Garmin when they hit their SOS. You know, Garmin has their their emergency contact and. That was terrible because the information was, I mean, you just, you, you, you sterile, yeah, sterile and something yeah. really bad has happened. Thank you very much. Good night. <laughs> and you have no way to find out how, no. how it's bad and or who just, to, wait, what? No, you can't call yeah. Garmin. And, yeah. you know, so I, I've, I've thought a lot about this. You know, I, I think our emergency contacts, A, should not necessarily be our loved ones. It should be. Who's the best person on earth that can handle uh, an SOS situation, you know, an emergency situation? You know, for example, for me, it's it's my neighbors. It's Nate Scales or Matt Beechner, guys that are really good pilots that know the game, that know who to call, that know how I yeah. know those dudes are going to come get me. I don't have to rely on search and rescue who are, you know, inevitably going to be slower than than us, our community, you know, and uh and they and then they will craft the message once they find out really what's going on to my wife. I think I I, I don't know. I've thought about this yeah. a bit. I think that's the best way for us as a community to handle these kind of things. Well, yeah, I was sitting in the the ER, um, pining to get my phone. I knew that there'd be an opportunity at some point after all the hubbub was over, uh, that I could call Sheila and just say, "Hey, this is this is what happened," and "Hey, I'm I'm fine, uh, but I'm going to be in the hospital for a bit." But I never, I didn't get that opportunity. It just, um, they take everything from you. They cut all yeah, your clothes of off. They take all your stuff, yeah. and you just sort of, you just sort of left. Um, but anyway, I mean, yes, that wasn't great. It was the worst possible um, situation uh, for her to find out. Uh, but she, she was nonetheless incredibly supportive through the whole thing. I remember saying, in the hospital, I remember saying, you know, that might be it for me and the, and the paraglider. Because you have that yeah. feeling, you have that that sense of you know this was this Isn't was really monumental. And she said, oh. "Yeah," she said, oh, "Oh, don't even don't even talk about that. Of, of course you will." And that's that's just that's just the accident talking. You're fine, you know. And she was just really behind me getting back under the glider, awesome. which I don't I don't know if a lot of people have somebody in their lives like that, you know. Yeah, good question. Uh, that's that's an interesting one. I mean, I think a lot of people, typically men, is just so that's a sport that's there are more men doing it. Uh, you know, you hear a lot of stories about, you know, once they get a girlfriend or, or get married, they stop flying. And, uh, you know, I, I, for all kinds of different reasons, you know, kids, safety risk, yeah. uh, just also as a, being a partner, this, this sport takes you out of being a partner a lot. So I, I think that that's the, 
Well, and it's an incredibly it's selfish incredibly sport. Let's be honest. It's, it's probably worse than golf. You know, those guys that golf that disappear for the day. We disappear for days. Yeah. You know, at, at a, at a and whim. You think you, and, and, you know, whim. when you first said that, I thought, oh, yeah, but golf's so expensive. <laughs> yeah. This sport's cheap. <laughs> <laughs> well, golf, golf's stupid. Golf's, golf's stupid, really yeah. stupid. We can say that, but but yeah, price wise, I bet they're comparable. Um, I always think of George Carlin when I think of golf, and you're going to do it 18 bloody times. <laughs> um, hey, yeah. so rewind. What happened? What? How'd you hit the ground? What was? Tell us. Tell us what happened that day. Well, okay, so it starts with the Zeno two coming out. So that came out. You know, so my accident happened. June of last year. So is that 2022? Are we in 2022 now? So this was 20. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. June. Yeah. June 22. And the Zeno two had just come out. Bill and I both got ours and I had the first opportunity to fly it, um, you know, weather wise. And I, I had a lovely, you know, like seven, seven hour flight, 150, 160 miles. Um, really, really liked the glider felt how different it was from the Zeno one. And I know you, you're not a Zeno guy, but, um, I flew that glider, you know, into the ground just like five years. I think I was on the, the Zeno and it has very, very, um, predictable and, and, um, obvious characteristics. Okay. Um, and you get the two and you sort of assume many of those characteristics are going to come, come right along with some improvements, right? That's what you, but it, it really is kind of a different glider and particularly in just the way that it communicates to you is a lot, is a lot noisier, really helpful in the lighter mm -hmm. lift, a little bit more of a handful in the stronger it's not lift. So stiff. That's all I, the, the, the Zeno one I always heard yeah, was really not so stiff, tuned out, really hard to search and light stuff and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. It was just a little less okay. talky. Um, and so again, I had one flight on it just this one day and I remember debriefing telling Bill about it afterwards, like, dude, so great because, you know, the improvements were the kind of improvements you mm -hmm. wanted, you know, at the end of the day, when it's light, you can really find everything with much more precision than, than the, the first, you know, which maybe would have flown through some of that and not given you hints about it. So this is my second flight on it. It had been a week or so, and it was a kind of a mixed media day. I would call it, it was kind of a high pressure, um, but maybe still had really good top of lift and maybe there was a chance there could be cloud it was one of those kind of mixed in the middle yeah. days but it was it was showing in in xc skies to be a really good one and kind of gusty you know wind as often those days are and in, in that time of year when you want to get a get a long flight you're probably launching with a little more wind than is fun you know down ground handling it was a little cross so it was gusting maybe up to 15 18 and steady at around 10. You're talking miles an hour. So it was a handful. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I always yeah. do. I'm an yes, American, Gavin. Did you okay. see the SNL skit about the metric system and all that? that was one yes, of the best man. Ever. That was oh, so good. Gosh. Nobody knows. So, so Nobody good. Knows. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yes, I will speak miles per hour. Uh, so, anyway, you know, it was one of those days where when you pull your glider up, you sort of, you know, you, you slide underneath it. And it was a full on kind of. Um, and it was just Alex and I, and um, Steve um, Serene showed up to to tow us, and um, he had a friend and with what's him. The, what's uh, this terrain pilot. like for those listening? Where, where are you? Just dead flat. I'm on a dirt okay. road, dead flat dirt road in western Minnesota. Okay. Um, it's an area uh, we've 
we've found that has several roads facing north, south, east, or west, two, two to three mile long roads. So light, nice long toes. And this day it was crossed. So we were on the east-west road facing west and it was a bit okay. north. So it was kind of a, it wasn't a handful, but it was a handful. You know, the, the, you, you're, you, when you pulled your glider up, you were kind of at a 45 to the road. Um, and so not, uh, not ideal towing conditions, not, but, I, but, but, but that's what it is. Yeah. That's what those days yeah. are. Yes. And that's what those, if you want to fly far, you're going to have to be in some wind and, and Alex is so much faster at putting uh, his kit together. So he launched first, he has like one of those, I don't know, the thing just comes out of the bag and it's on his back and he's yeah. gone kind of guy. And I'm picking and sort of going through checklists and, you know, checking all the straps and just, you know, I'm yeah. pokey and I've got that big Cortel harness, which is, you know, just a lot of yeah. stuff. And so he's already in the air and it looks like it's good. And of course it always looks like it's good when you're on sure. the ground itching to get into sure. the air, you know, and he just seems to be a speck and, and maybe even going to the mm. moon and, uh, and any minute will so be gone signed. and I'll you're, just have to time chase. To go. Time to go. There yeah. Go. Time to go. And you got that kind of angsty yeah. sort of and so there was a there was a guy that came along with Steve that I had met um, named Jedediah um, Shermer. I, I hope I'm sa- spell- saying that right. Charmer, um, really nice guy, and he's a hang glider pilot. And he wanted to just observe paragliding launching uh, toes, so because he's thinking about ebbing towards that direction. And <laughs> Until so, that day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is what he sees. So a uh, really nice guy. And we're, you know, talking to him and, and, and he sat in the back of the truck with the tow winch and just watched. And so when they got back, I'm ready to go. And, um, I'm, I'm flying one of these, this is, um, Revis found me this interesting tow bridle. That's very different than a normal tow bridle. No per- normal tow bridle is, you know, it, co- it connects to the carabiners and it's two, you know, two webbing pieces of webbing with some sort of a, a clasp that comes undone. And it's, and so it comes to a triangle in front of you. Well, this, this tow bridle is interesting. It was just a piece of, is it Dyhema? Dyhema. Dyhema. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Dyhema. It was a piece of Dyhema that attaches kind of like a chicken switch on a, um, on a, on a snow kite oh, or a, a water okay. kite. You know how you pull the little yeah. red thing and then it undoes. Yeah. So it had two chicken switches on either carabiner and then just a piece of, that cord that goes from one to the other, making just a, an arc okay. in front of you. You run the weak link through that, and now whatever direction you're skewed to the to the tow line, it adjusts. So you're always balanced. Oh, wow. And and I don't know if I'm explaining this right, but it, it, it was pretty cool, and I was really excited about this tow bridle. I then used it a couple of times. The downfall of this tow bridle is that both of the little little release things are right there at your carabiners right up against oh, so you got to go to um, those you got to take your hands you got to hold one or... no no they're really easy oh. to get at they're easy to get at, but they're too easy to, to bump oh. and my first launch that day i i launched quickly and you know <laughs> slid under the glider you you know you wrestle it get it straight turn real quick and go and i was about 50 feet up and as i was adjusting i don't know if you have this problem with your cartel but every time i launch in my cartel i have to kind of push my flight deck down into position and and kind of kind of wrangle it a little bit and as i was doing that i popped the chicken switch and i was released lovely so now i'm you know so which is no big deal it's it's lots of wind i just went straight down landing so there was no big surge or anything it was fine okay no and if there was a surge you're just pretty good at containing that anyway just naturally as i've been towing for 18 years and 
all of that just seemed natural. And it was just another, it was another, I'm telling you this because it's another kind of loading the gun to what, what ended up perhaps having something to do with, with what happened in that I was anxious to get into the air and that's never a good thing. Right. Then you have this rushing. now you're even more delayed and now you're more anxious and yeah, yeah, yeah. Stacking up here a little bit. Stacking up. So I reset, um, and back in the air now on this, um, launch, um, everything looks great as I make my turn, um, do my, you know, you only run a couple of steps when it's windy like that and you're in the air. And as soon as I'm in the air and sort of getting into the seat, I check the glider and I've got a little stick on the left side and it's yeah. little, it's the kind of little stick that in the Xeno one, you almost always got on launch. You were always popping out those little tips coming in often while you're running off yeah. a mountain. You know, as you're as you're doing your run, you're like ping, ping, ping. Yeah, okay, that's clear. Or even if it's not clear when you're when you've left the mountain, you can still just waggle that out really quick with sure. a little pump. Okay, so now we'll get into my, you know, arrogance. Um, in that, I saw that, and right away, like, well, I pop this out, but it doesn't come out. A few pumps, and I'm low. I'm probably, let's say 25 feet. You know, I'm just in the seat. I haven't even done anything. I haven't even pushed the flight deck in, I haven't done anything. And um, I'm, I'm going to get that cravat out. And that becomes kind of my mm. focus. It's not a big cravat. We're talking about probably a foot of material. It's not wound in. It's just mm-hmm. tucked. So leave it alone. And I should leave it alone. Thank you, yeah. Gavin. And, and had you been along on the flight, perhaps you could have given me that information from the truck mm. and, um, because that's really, it's really what probably put me where I was. It didn't cause the accident, as you'll hear, but it certainly wasn't a good thing that I was putting a, a fair bit of focus yeah, on this. Okay. okay, so a couple things are going on. I'm weight shifting to the right. The wind is from the right, right? It's a little bit north. And so I'm weight shifting over that direction and mm-hmm. I'm futzing. And I started by doing the brakes, nothing. And I, then I grabbed the Stabilo and, um, pulled on that and all that did was bring in a big ears over the cravat um which was quite counterproductive to what i was trying to do i had hoped that when the big ears popped open some of that momentum would take the cravat with it didn't um and so instead of being i i'm still in line with the the tow vehicle i know where i am in proximity to this tow i'm letting myself drift a little bit to the south because that's keeping me on the wind line this whole thing is 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 causing that a little bit so i've moved a little bit to the south i'm looking up and i've decided you know what i think i'm going to grab the stabilo and give it a pop and see what that does i'm just i'm winging it at this point and um still have my right hand on on the brake and i've probably got both i think at this point i've got both brakes in the in the right hand and i'm just starting to reach and the whole glider goes away so i wasn't touching the stabilo I wasn't doing anything to the glider other than weight shifting a little bit to the right and everything just went away. And it felt to me like a, like a pretty large asymmetric. Um, but the glider's gone. I can't see it really. And you know, that's bizarre that, um, on tow. Yeah. So what on tow on tow, when is this ever? It, so you, so you either. took a big frontal. I took a huge frontal and I have confirmation of that. Um, I thought I took a big asymmetric and I thought the ASIM basically just kind of spiraled me down okay. to the ground because from the point of, of it going away and me being ass over tea kettle on the ground, 
it seemed like a couple yeah. of seconds because I was probably 75 to a hundred feet up. Um, so <laughs> the best part of, well, it's not really the best part, but it's funny. Um, you know, people talk about your life flashing before you and I didn't have that. I didn't have this sort of, Oh, wasn't that a lovely moment when I was in that play in seventh grade? And Oh, remember when I got the training wheels off my bike? Like, and it wasn't one of those, it wasn't like a Pixar movie, but I was coming to the ground at a speed unrecognizable by any standard I can understand. It was like, it's over. I'm going to die in this sad little road in Western Minnesota. And, and then done punched. I'm then I didn't feel a thing. I was completely blacked out. I, and I mean it, I didn't feel a thing. The impact is on. It's like somebody went in and edited that out. I don't have the impact in, but just before the impact, I remember sort of maybe balling up a little bit, you know, just sort of ah, maybe kind of looking away and like, pulling oh my, my, trying to pull God, my legs up. It's going to hurt probably. It's going to hurt yeah. bad. It's so fast. It was so, so fast. Um, the, the rate at which I was coming in. And, and so then I woke up, sort of half woke up and Jedediah is over me. He's um, holding my neck. And it's hot too, by the way, it's a hot day. And I, I remember there's like sweat rolling off his nose and you can see the fear in his eyes. And I don't really know what's going on. I'm just on the ground and there's this guy above me backwards to me, you know, because he's behind me. And uh, then it slowly realized, oh yeah, I was just flying. Oh no, I was just crashing. You know, it all just kind of slowly comes back into your head. And he's still holding my head in that kind of way that somebody does when they're assuming you've broken your neck. And he's asking me questions. And I guess I answered some of them. Um, He said it took me a while to become lucid. I was pretty knocked out of it for maybe three to five minutes. Um, And, and of course, I, I, I don't know if it's shock or what it is, but I sort of wiggled my toes and wiggled my fingers and everything felt pretty good. And so I said, yeah, I think I, I think I'm good, dude. Um, uh, We should, yeah, let me up. And I, and, and he sort of got a little tighter (laughs) on his grip and he said, no, I, you know, I, I just saw you hit the ground. I think, I think it's, we've got an ambulance coming. I'm like, and he said, I think there's a helicopter. I said, oh no, 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 no. We don't need a helicopter. Just take me into, cause the closest town was Wilmer. I go, well, we could just get an x-ray of Wilmer. And, um, and, uh, but I still argued with him about getting up and thank goodness. So it ends up this gentleman that showed up that day was a fireman. Oh man. Ooh, he actually, boy, that was lucky. So lucky because Alex was in the air. Steve is a really nice guy and I've known him forever. He'd have probably let me get up. He'd have probably been like, all right, well, that knows what he's doing. And I would have probably let him yeah, get up. Got, you know what I mean? We're not trained. Pumping. You're totally in shock. You're, you're a moron. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a complete moron. And so yeah, the ambulance, I guess it took a half an hour of him sort of holding my head, uh, and it's just hot. And, you know, um, so they got me out of, a, I think they got me out of my harness without, I know they did, they didn't have to cut it. And then, um, the ambulance took me in their little cab. And then after that, you hear the helicopter arrive, they've sort of cut off my clothing and, um, I've got some fentanyl or something delicious going through my system. Cause I mean, like you just, I'm starting to joke around a little bit. It's starting to hurt a little bit more because I think some of the adrenaline's gone and 
the back pain is maybe coming in, but they've got me on a backboard with a neck thing and I get in the helicopter, which is pretty fun. Before, before this, so the, we, I had an incident with, you know, Ben Abruzzo, who my supporter and all the XFs, when he broke his back in Nevada, when the, when the ambulance showed up, they had no drugs mm-hmm. on board. They had no narcotics that wasn't allowed. Why? Why? Because, yeah. Because of the opioid crisis? Yeah, exactly. And it was it was wow. unbelievable because oh. I was, you know, oh. it was clearly he had no injury. There was no reason not to give him drugs. You know, I mean, that's just step <laughs> one is you got to control the victim's pain, you know, right? And, yeah. and he had been lying there because our first aid, it was, you know, one of these things, our first aid kit wasn't with us and it was in the other car. And, you know, and, and it, but it taught me a lot about, man, we have got to, each of us have to have at least something uh, to give our buddies if they go in hard. And so, so they, so the ambulance showed up and you're, you're, they get, they get you something right away. Or was it your, or was it your guys that gave you something right away? No, they did the ambulance and (laughs) the ambulance is kind of funny because as they were putting me on the backboard, they have to roll you and get it underneath you. And then they kind of roll you back down. And so they're, you know, and what's funny is, I don't know. It's probably part of that job, but I think you're just a slab of meat. You're not really a sentient being that's being put on a board. You're kind of just, and they start talking amongst themselves as they're carrying me to the ambulance about the bulge they have noticed in my back. One of them says to the other, yeah, did did you you, you see that bulge in his back? That doesn't look good. And I'm like, Hey guys, you know, I can hear you. (laughs) I'm the guy that's got this bulge now. And so your mind is just like, Oh no, you know, I, you feel like I, 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 in my mind, I think I could think of like alien, that sort of alien popping out of the body and just like, Oh no. And I, I love that you said that doesn't look good. That, that, that makes you that feel doesn't really look good. good. <laughs> and, and she, and, and the other one goes, Oh yeah. Yeah. I did see that. And she's like, Oh my gosh. I go guys. And I didn't, I think I did say something like how bad, what, what, what does that mean? And they're, then they sort of started to placate me a little bit. And, um, and then they get the drugs in and you're doing a lot better. Time goes by really fast because according to the to the guys on the ground, uh, Jedediah and Steve, you know, it was like 45 minutes until the helicopter mm. showed up. To me, it was two yeah, minutes, sure. two minutes. And I was in a helicopter and I was chit chatting with those guys. I tried to get them to take me to a different hospital than the one they were going to take me to. Uh, they were taking me to the level one trauma center in, in Minneapolis, which is HCMC, which is downtown. And it's a great hospital, but it's very yeah. busy you know, it's gunshot wounds and car accidents. And, and, and so I was like, well, wh- why don't we go to the Fairview Riverside? You know, it's like a little bit more of a suburban hospital, maybe a little quieter, yeah. maybe a little gougier rooms. And the guy's like, dude, you're not going there. You have to go to, you, 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 you just fall in a great yeah. distance. Yeah. You're going to go to here. And so, uh, they were great. Helicopter ride is really fun. I was, I was, I was, wondering because it was bumpy because it was a it was a thermic day and it's high noon probably at this point and they fly low they're only like i don't know five six hundred feet up and so it's kind of bumpy and i'm thinking what's this landing going to be like in these conditions downtown you know on the roof and my back starting to get a little more sore maybe you know i can feel that giant bump that the paramedics are talking about and i'm just assuming it's just you know wheelchair time for daddy and um and they just put it down they just greased it i mean just it was you couldn't even feel the thing touch it was just soft as and then you're out and you get in this elevator and the elevator goes to the er and the er is like this beautiful shiny and again this is probably the fentanyl talking but 
everything kind of everything kind of glowed in there and everybody had these cool uniforms on and there's about 50 of them it seemed like (laughs) oh yeah just wasted and i'm and i'm buck-ass naked on a gurney and i'm absolutely covered in feathers because they've cut my down puffy off and it's sweaty and so i'm like tarred and feathered i've tarred and feathered myself (laughs) in my own like greasy sweat and so I'm naked, sweaty, and and have all these feathers on me. And they think they've never they the the head guy said you know we've never had a paragliding accident here before. And I'm like yeah I suppose you haven't. This is a first for both of us. And uh, they um, you know they were really expecting me to be basically a broken pile of bones. you know broken bones yeah. bones yeah. And then it really wasn't that bad. They, there was no blood. I didn't have a scratch on me, Gavin. I'm not scratch. Do you uh, did did Jebediah? Is it is that his Jed? Jed Jed Yeah. Uh, you must have hit perfectly. I mean, you you you. Well, literally I came must in. Have hit put, I came in. I did. He and so maybe we should the the rest of the story. There's a little bit, one funny bit in the ER that I'll tell. But um, let's talk about it because what Jedediah did that was amazing is he as soon as the helicopter left. And he was in his truck driving home. He got out his iPhone and he made me a voice message of exactly what he saw mm. as he mm. saw it. Okay. So he gave me as best because I didn't have video. I couldn't review the video of this because there's no right. video. I didn't have a camera, of course, and Alex no one gone, was videotaping yeah. me, but he was watching. Yeah. Alex is in the air. Um, and so he gave me a blow by blow. And I didn't listen to that for about a month because you kind of don't want to. You don't really want to look at your equipment. Um, you don't want to do much. Um, you're just sort of coming to terms with having all of this confidence stripped away mm-hmm. from you, mm-hmm. right? Um, and all that omnipotence has been now, now I'm no longer, I'm mortal again. You know, I can be hurt. And I, I think that many of us have a feeling in paragliding that accidents happen to mm-hmm. others. Good Lord, it's not happening to me. I'm really good right. at this. How could it possibly happen to yeah. me? And uh, I'm careful and yada, yada. So, he gave me this blow by blow uh, of, of exactly what happened. And he, he knew enough about paragliding to be able to describe things like a frontal. And he said that, he described the, the cravat, small little cravat. And then he, then he saw me, you know, pull the big ear over the cravat when I was working with the stabile. And, and then he, um, he said shortly thereafter, the whole front of your glider disappeared, you know, and he said then, he called it tacoing. Mm. He said the tips taco, you know, horseshoed um, and nothing really recovered after that. And then you hit and he said, you, it looked like you hit feet first, you know, so pointed and which is, is true. I kind of made a, a half turn as I was, and then came in on the, the, so if you think of a dirt road and then you have a little embankment, like a grassy sort of um, slope, and then it goes down to farm fields. I hit on that gl- that glancing part, just that little angle of the grass, oh and then slid. So that tiny bit of angle, the um, uh, the I, I think I sent you those spars I, back in the day when I found when I finally did get to my equipment and I pulled those straightening spars out of the Cortel harness. They were absolutely twisted and broken. Wow. So those things probably saved. Probably is why I'm not paralyzed. Are those two spars that come in the back of that harness, right behind my spine? They're absolute. I still have pictures. They're twisted and torn. They're actually torn. Jesus. 
and they're really strong. Yeah, you know, yeah, they're yeah. really, really strong. That kind of corrugated yeah. plastic. Honeycomb. Um, so stuff. the combination yeah. of yes, it's honeycomb plastic. I, I told them, I said I would maybe even think about making it out of honeycomb carbon fiber, make it even yeah. stiffer because wow. that was a that took a lot of the impact that I think my spine would have had to have taken um, uh, at that impact. And then my tailbone is still to this day pretty sore. Really? <laughs> I think that I. And I didn't break it. They they x-rayed it. I had them x-rayed it three times because it hurt so bad. Bruise or something. Yeah. Um, so uh, that was really helpful that he gave me this 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 picture because I had this picture in my brain of what happened. And in in my mind, I thought it was a pretty massive asymmetric that just arced me down towards the ground and couldn't recover in time. Um, but instead it was it was a big funnel, which you were, you is a pretty amazing to the event. Toe through the throughout. Yeah, but not when I was on the ground, and we haven't figured that one out either, Gavin. I can't understand you know, why, wasn't why you I had still... a frontal. I I just don't get it. I mean, when you're when you're towing, your wings back. You're pulled back. You're yeah. God, that's bizarre. I I, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think it's about you know bizarre. you've got you've got kind of an unstable aircraft because you've got the the tuck on the left side, so that mm-hmm. didn't help. Uh, but you're you're you're. You're leaning the other way and you're, you're toying mm-hmm. with that side. Could that have instigated mm-hmm. the man? I don't. But at the time of the frontal, I'm not toying with yeah. anything. I was just reaching, reaching for you the stabilo. For so, but, but what I, what I'm left with as I think about the outcome of this and is that dude, that, that cravat should have just been left alone. Get five, six, seven, absolutely. Then S- start messing as, with same it. Same as flying off the mountain right we don't mess with that stuff until we've got margin so yeah okay for sure mistake a or b or whatever you, that that was that was that was a miss but god the frontal on top but let me ask and let me add one more miss to it so check it out now what if i was both hands on the brakes centered position in the in the in the harness not you know and this frontal started to happen yeah maybe would have come now maybe Maybe I would have caught it. Maybe Hopefully. I could have yarded on the brakes and and I would have been cognizant of it as opposed to ignorant yeah. of it because my attentions were spent. Am I online with the toe? Am I weight shifting to the right? And how do I get this? And it was just such arrogance, Gavin, that I should be mucking about because I have towed so many times my arrogance allowed me to believe that it was okay to muck around that low and not be just flying that glider into into a more positive place. Definitely, definitely, definitely not a lockout. Oh no, 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 no! Not, not even close. close. Yeah, that's not that's what that's what always worries close. me when I see people towing and they start messing with something. You know, you just you just start you slide a little bit and a little bit, especially when you're low and there's not a lot of line out yet. You're just you're getting to that. You know, ah, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Because I've I've seen it once. And I was towing and and we were luckily in the ocean over water and it was totally benign. And the pilot was, wasn't a pilot. He had just seen us towing and he just desperately wanted to go. And I thought, okay. I mean, I, he had done something somewhere and, and, you know, of course, as soon as he leaves the ground, he's trying to get in his harness or something and just yanks on a brake and just immediately lock out and boom in the water. And, you know, he had, but even over the water and even we were just starting, it was almost I mean, I would have said he had a mild concussion, uh, you know, so you can imagine it on a dirt yeah. road or something. So that, that was the first time I'd seen one. I haven't seen one since, but it made, it gave me a lot of respect for it because it was 
crazy how fast it was. It was just towing, whack, just bam, you know, it's just, <laughs> holy shit, it was so fast. And I'd only heard about lockout and I don't have the towing experience you guys do, you know, but it was, it was, uh, it was really frightening. Well, and if I was even remotely close to any angle like that, which I wasn't, but if I were, Steve would dump yeah, the pressure because he deals with it. Oh my God. He deals with it all the time. He gets these, these students up there mucking about with their GoPros and trying to get into their harnesses and they're wang and way to one side or the other. And they just dump pressure, slow the vehicle down. And if necessary, they'll, they'll bring them all the way to the ground mm-hmm. offline, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then restart the whole. I mean, it doesn't, um, doesn't fit. No, that the- story at all i just just no. you know it's just weird it's just weird that you're lost your wing like that. well it was a thumping day and and i've de i've you know deconstructed this with a number of pilots and and what we all just keep coming back to is that you know sometimes you yeah. get hit sometimes there's just a big piece of nasty air that even though your glider is under pressure you know and one thing that that maybe pops into my brain as a possible is that could could me weight shifting to the right have re somehow pushed the harness in a way that hit that chicken switch mm. again. And I was released. Now I didn't feel that. I mean, that would be a pretty profound feeling. There would be, there would be a surge. First off, there'd be that immediate kind of pop where you, you up, oh, you're, you're released from the mm-hmm. toe. Cause like if you break, if you ever broken a weak link or you, if you had a line break in towing, it's, it's a very oh, profound. Yeah, big time. I have had that several pop. times and it's, a, it's, it's hands up. It's, I mean, it's hands on. It's like, Whoa, I got to catch this. Exactly. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. You get the pop and you get time, yeah. you know that it's coming. And so you have plenty of time to get on the surge. I didn't have that. I was fully pressurized and then the glider disappeared in a finger snap. And it was I guess just you, like, I guess a, you just hit a really gnarly bit of air. It's all we yeah. can think. And that's what Bill seems to think and some others that I've, I've talked it through with. And based on what Jedediah related, he didn't see the glider surging forward and then a cravat. It was the, the, the angle of attack was the same and the whole yeah. front end just disappeared. Okay. And, and I know you've, we've all had frontals and, and when you have them at altitude, it's, it's, it's almost a non-event and you wait for that pressure to come back. And I remember, I remember waiting just a little bit. I didn't have a lot of time to wait, but I waited a little bit. And then I got on, then I gave the brakes just a little pressure, like, oh, it'll be there now. And it was Whack. just a sack of nothing. Yeah. It was going down. What's the, what's the funny story in the ER? Oh, well, the ER is great because they're all expecting probably the biggest trauma, you know, in world <laughs> history in terms of what they, they just know that somebody's fallen from an incredible yeah. height. And, and then I show up and I'm, you know, fully naked, tarred and feathered. <laughs> and making jokes all jacked up on fentanyl. And, um, so they're asking about paragliding and maybe I'm answering some of the questions again, you're, you're pretty messed up and, um, it's very cacophonous. There's a lot of movement all around you and you're just kind of on the gurney and the, you're watching uh, the ceiling. And, and then this, I hear this voice come from behind me and she said, um, sir, is there anything you need to tell us about your incontinence? <laughs> and, uh, I said, wait, I go, I, I, I didn't know. I, Wait, what? My what? You're, you're, you're incontinence. And I said, um, I don't know what you're talking about. Incontinence, that's like peeing on yourself or you can't pee? Or she goes, well, sir, you're wearing a condom catheter oh my God, um, right now. And I'm like, I am. I, oh, I am. I am. I am. Oh, oh I'm good. Oh, I'm oh, good. Oh. And then, 
Yeah, I'm good. So the whole ER has been pretty noisy until I say, oh, oh, and everybody goes quiet. And you can kind of feel the heads turn like, okay, how is he going to answer this? What What is going on with why this is on this guy's dick? And uh, I explained, okay, you know, when we're in the air for a certain amount of time, you need to, you need to urinate. And this is the method that we've come up with in the paragliding community of how we connect this little hose. It runs out to harness and everybody starts laughing, you know, because they're just like, you know, it's just not a thing you run into. That's a pretty strange yeah. thing. Um, so, so, uh, that's that really, really funny. good. And here's the best part. I somehow figure out maybe it would be a good thing to not, cause you know what they're going to do to you. They're going to fully catheter you in a hospital. You know oh, what yeah. that is? That's not, yeah, that's not good. I remember my dad I always said, told me, you know, he was in the military and I went in for one of my surgeries at one of the knee ones early on. And, you know, I grew up ski racing. And I think it was maybe the first one, my first big uh, ACL repair. And, and he said, make sure they don't give you a catheter. It, it, it ruins the flap. I remember saying that it ruins the <laughs> flap. You'll, 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 you'll have to pee the rest of your life all night. You know, and he was so mad about his, he did, he'd had a surgery at some point and had to get a catheter and it ruined his flap. And <laughs> <laughs> well, damn. Well, um, so I got to keep mine on. They let me keep it on ah. Gavin. I was able to, I was able to pee out that for the first few Fantastic. days I was in the hospital because you're, you're pretty immobilized. That's great. So then they, they give you a CT scan, which you, you know, we all know what that is. And, and, um, once I was had the CT, then I just waited and, and then the doctor came in and, and read the, the butcher's bill. And, you know, I think you sort of start thinking, you know what, I'm going to be fine. There's, I bet there probably isn't even anything broken. I bet this is, you know, because I was whisked in and out of that big room pretty yeah. fast because they just, they're checking you for, they'd already checked me for internal injuries in the helicopter. They have this mobile ultrasound thing and they were doing that on me. So they didn't see, but they said I had a one, one lung was slightly collapsed, but they said it would reinflate and it did later that day. Other than that. Um, so the guy comes in, I, I think, I actually think it was a woman. I apologize. Yeah. I was pretty messed up at yeah. this point because the drugs weren't quite working as much and it had Not been a while. And yeah. And then they just tell you all the things that are broken and it was nine vertebrae and eight ribs and my sternum. You broke and nine you, vertebrae? You, nine vertebrae and and she kept and then you know they call them c1s and r's or whatever they you know they have these little codes and you're listening and and she just keeps saying them and keeps saying them and then gets to the ribs and then it's like wait how many are we talking about and and i, I think there's a small tear coming down one one eye here you know just like what and uh and no she she said oh 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 that's i'm sorry that's the bad news the good news these are all stable fractures and I said, what, is, what does that mean? How is that good? And she said, they, they don't have to have surgery. Like, oh, no surgery. So I, I, she said, you'll be in a brace for a while and, and these will heal and you will, you will be back to normal. And you're just going, what, yeah, yeah. party? So, yeah, you're, yeah. I mean, you're worried about what, well, what's all that, you know, what's, what's being in a brace and because you think those halos. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of stuff. And one of my vertebrae was kind of high, but it didn't require neck immobilization. So I, I wore basically this plastic, excuse me, this plastic brace. It comes in two parts and it Velcros together on you and it completely immobilizes your body from basically your, your, you know, pelvis up to your top of your sternum. And, uh, uh, Alex's brother had worn one of these. He had broken his back paragliding years ago. So Alex was kind of a, 
an expert and he's in the hospital with me now. He was with me when they told me the news. And so we're both just sort of in a little shock. And he goes, yeah, I know about these body braces, dude. Oh, that's not fun. I go, what's not fun? And he goes, well, they, they heat mold these things to your body, you know, cause they got to get it molded your body. He goes, it's, it's really hot when they're pressing it on your body. So kind of get ready for that. I'm just like, what? And that's not the case at all anymore. Oh. When his brother had one, now they like they, they they take measurements, so they use like a laser, and I don't know, but they brought it and it fit me. Um, so you just wear that for some months, and you know you're in the hospital for a bit, then you're out uh, into a, what they call the uh, acute rehab, where they just make sure you can walk upstairs and what was you know, your get in a what shower. was your headspace at this point? Was it holy shit? I'm so <laughs> lucky. Holy shit, I'm so unlucky. What what are you what are you thinking? Oh my god, I hate this sport. I mean, I never I never hated the sport, but it was um, you know what you go through, Gavin. That's maybe even more destructive. Is I'm a horrible yeah, pilot. I suck. You 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 suck, and I've made I've made terrible terrible misjudgments that have almost cost me my life and um, cost everyone around me a great deal because you know you require a lot of help. My wife just we had two new puppies in the house. And, uh, just, just the mayhem of all of a sudden she had to do everything and I could do nothing. I couldn't lift. They wouldn't allow me to lift anything more than five pounds. Um, and you're, you're in a lot of pain. I was in a lot of pain for quite a while, just as I healed. Um, uh, and, and, and I, I just felt really incompetent. I guess that would be the best word, like really incompetent. All of the confidence I built up over the 18, 20 years I had been paragliding were completely and utterly removed through this incident. And then you've got all this time to ponder mm. it. You've got months mm. to just dwell and and ruminate about it. And that's pretty unhealthy too. But but also I think like grieving, it's part of the process. You have to ruminate about it. You have to see it from all the angles and you have to figure out because there isn't just like your reaction is classic. Oh my God, you're on tow. How could that happen? There's no, I don't, I don't, I don't get a really neat buttoned up little yeah, package yeah, of an answer yeah. as to why this happened. I have to live in this more, I, I think, from you, what, know, from, you know, misunderstanding because of the podcast and just because we're in this sport, we've all talked to a lot of people who've, who've had accidents and it seems like the easier recovery is when it's really clear, you know, when you really understand what went wrong, yeah. you can identify it and, uh, you know, when it's, when it's mushy and gray and uh, that, that seems then, then there's a lot more, we like knowns when there's a lot of unknowns, it's just you know, brain seems to frazz a little bit. Well, and, and, you know, like, I think when you get away with stuff, uh, when you get away with little incidents throughout your career, it's easier to sort of rationalize that as, yeah, cause I'm really mm-hmm. good. <laughs> hey buddy, you can't take, you can't keep this right. one down. I'm good, you know, and, and it's not luck. I got skills and I, they're natural. I got natural Mm -hmm. skills. You know what I mean? You can, you can come to so many different, um, understandings of why you've stayed safe all these years. And then when you haven't, when, when, you know, your, when your luck runs out, you got a lot of processing to do about, um, a, how you've been looking at the sport for all these years. Um, how, how skilled are you? And all of that was undermined for me. Just, I, I really did feel like I had lost um, all of my confidence. And I did, I think, for a while. I, I certainly wasn't feeling great about jumping in 
in underneath a paraglider. Um, Chris Santa Croce, I saw this thing he did. He talks about preserving the good feelings you have about paragliding and how important that is. It's like, it's like something you have to hold close to your heart and, and preserve and don't let it get eroded because it's easy for that to get eroded. And then you don't want to, you don't want to go back and do it. You see your paragliding equipment and feel bad about it as opposed to feel excited about it. He actually uses that analogy. He says, you know, you'll see your gear and you want to go do that. And if you're on the other side of that curve, you see your gear and you want to go do something else because it just makes you maybe gives you a little queasy feeling. And I definitely suffered from that after this. And then I had all this time, you know, um, I couldn't do a thing. Walking for the first month was a pretty big deal. And then pretty soon I could, that was all, that was my main activity for the three months that I was immobilized was, you know, taking walks in, in the hot of summer in a plastic shell um, and just sweating and, and knowing you, <laughs> Uh, the, you know, I don't know you really well, but you have a lot of energy. This must have just been burning you up. I mean, just to just to be inca- incapacitated is my worst nightmare. You know, I I have to do shit. It's everybody's yeah. worst. Yeah, and I guess what made it feel okay though is that I knew that I was getting better. I knew that I was healing. I had great doctors, and they talked about how I would heal and what the prognosis was. And everybody said, "You will be a hundred percent. You will you will be back to doing everything." You know, it's just going to take time. And um, as we're older, you know, it takes more time. Um, so that was, you know, uh, the impatience of it all. On top of it, psychologically, I had just retired after 35 years of running a business, sold it, and then was also battling the kind of, I don't know, ineptitude and, you know, insecurity of all of a sudden having your identity, if, if we look at our identity as being work, being removed. And now what and who am I? Um, So I was just coming on the heels of that into this accident. And now I'm sitting, (laughs) I'm sitting in a chair, looking out at a window for three hours, you know, with nothing, you know, that's the plan that I have for the afternoon is I've got myself, you know, into the chair and then you just got a lot of time to think a lot of time. Yeah. And I'm curious curious about that because it's, you know, I, I've been injured a lot. I've had a lot of these, you know, okay, incapacitated for a while. And I have both fond and not so great memories of, of some of them. The ones that are fond, I, I was, I kind of took it on as a challenge. And I, and I, you know, yeah. read books or, I, you know, I do, I did things that I don't normally find easy to do because I'm busy. And, and I, and I came out of it. I think a better person and I've had other ones where I've just wasted away in my own misery and, and I'll do enough. And I, you know, these days you're on your phone farting around and blowing time. And, and I don't know if that I've remember, you know, that I've learned anything coming out of them. So I've done, I've done it both ways. There's, there's clearly a good way to do it where you can look back and go, you know, that injury, I needed that time. I needed it mentally. I yeah. needed it physically. I, I need it. You know, we, we yeah. get sick for a reason, right? We get a flu and I always think, yeah, it was because I was burning the candle at both ends. I'm tired. You know, mm-hmm. this was my body going, okay, dude, uh, you, you're not going to relax. So I'm going to force you to relax. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I was, it was like forced double retirement. Yeah. I got, I got retired and then I got double retired. I got retired from everything that I do. And yeah, I think it was, a, it felt very negative maybe at the time. And then that, that negative feeling started to kind of 
um, erode away and, and a feeling of like, wow, I'm, this is so great to be alive and so great that out of all of that could have happened, only this mm. happened, you know, yeah, I broke a bunch of vertebrae, but they're all healing yeah, and I'm, I'm wheelchair. maybe my back will be a little, yeah, maybe I'll be a little more fragile for the rest of my life, but man, that's the small price to pay. And, um, I, I think I, I definitely, definitely, it was an immensely positive thing, probably for the, for the accelerated, um, version of who I am now compared to who I was. I look at life as kind of a three phase thing. We have the first phase where we're learning and we're young and we're ambitious. And then the second phase, we take that ambition and we create something of ourselves. And, you know, we have a career and a life and maybe grow a family and grow a relationship. And then I'm in phase three now where it's the back half where we take all that wisdom and perhaps some of the money that we've made and we, we put it towards this last phase of our life. And uh, I, I just, I want to be the smartest version of myself and the kindest version and the most thoughtful and decent version of myself in this last phase. I've messed it all up in these other two, but I feel like this is the, the last one that I can maybe repair some of the um, dim-witted, ambitious, driven, egocentric bullshit that I've, you know, twisted and turned through in the first two phases of my life and and really kind of try to get it right that's now. kind of a nice takeaway i mean yeah. I'm, I'm hearing that all says humility to me I mean, it, it sounds like the accident oh, yeah. maybe expedited you know who who are we to say you, you may have come to this conclusion anyway just out of retirement you maybe you didn't need the accident for this you know enlightenment but uh maybe it kind of expedited the humility side of things which is something we all need a little heavier dose of i need piles more of it yeah. i mean and 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 what what we put our ambitions to you know a lot of times we're, we're putting our ambitions out in the world so that then glowing adoration comes back at us right look at look at how successful you are look what mm. you've done mm. right those ambitions are often driven to sort of put a spotlight back on ourselves. And um, one thing about being in this phase of my life is I think I'm thinking a lot less about putting a light on myself and more just enjoying myself and making sure the people around me are enjoying themselves mm. and thinking more about that than look what I did. And I think that really phase two of your life is spent. Look what mm. I did, you know, um, whether you're trying to post up a really big flight and make sure everybody sees it or fly the furthest from the launch that day, whatever it is, I've been that guy forever. I having all of that ambition and, and um, it is a lot of energy that maybe can be spent more positively mm. and sitting around in a plastic shell on a 95 and 95 degree humid day, you know, you know, kind of biding my time healing gave me a lot of, a lot of perspective on that. Mm. And then also how one approaches the, the sport of paragliding and why, you know, I guarantee you that you had very many, you've had several reasons for why you love and do paragliding through your, your time doing it from the beginning to the end and, and how you're doing it. Yeah. And how that changes. And I think that Alex put it really well when I was coming back, trying to come back into the sport, he said, dude, just do some country club flying for a while. And I love that phrase, country club flying. Just have fun. Yeah. I don't like country clubs. I think they're racist piles of shit. But um, uh, I, I don't, I don't, um, I don't 
agree with, yeah, what a country club is, but I love that idea that let's just have mm. fun and let's just find days that are enjoyable and that manifest nothing more than fun and that uh, uh, can start to build a foundation that gets me back to, you know, perhaps having a few more goals and pursuing those goals. And what's, how's um, that? But how's right that now, been? are you flying again? It w- yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been, uh, yeah. And it wasn't easy. <laughs> the very first flight I took, the very first flight was, was really fun, funny in that. Um, so it took a long time. I was, we were in California last year from December to April. And in about a month in, I had brought a kit with me. I hadn't flown. Took me a while to even look at my kit, Gavin. It took me probably two months before I got my kit back out of the bag since the accident. Alex brought it to me because all my stuff was, he, he wrapped it all up. So it still had the dried grass and gravel in the bag from the event. Mm-hmm. Of course, there was no blood, which is yeah. great. It was nice to not have like a bloody <laughs> harness I had to clean up. But I, I hung it all up and inspected the glider line by line and, you know, all the cells and everything. And then I did the same thing, hung up the harness and inspected it. And that's when I found those you know, those pulled out those spars that come down the back and they're twisted. Um, but I didn't think much about flying more than just, I know that I'll give that thought, but I need to get some distance from it. And by this, by this winter, so this was last winter, I was starting to feel that way. And, um, I'd been speaking with my flying friends and, you know, telling them some of the, some of the things that were going on in my head and, um, working through that and, Finally, it felt okay to go fly. And so I chose, and this is a funny place for me to fly because I am not a ridge soaring person. I just don't, I'm not good at it at all. I don't know if you're any good at ridge soaring. I'm horrible at it. It just, it's a, it requires a specific kind of, you know, like a little quiver of gliders. They have a 22 meter for this and, a, you know, like they're into that and, and they're really good. And, and I showed up at Tori with my giant Cortell harness and my Zeno 2 and all of my anxiety. Mm-hmm. And my friend, my friend, Phil Russman said he'd join me. I said, yeah, I just need somebody to be there for this first launch. Right. And, uh, it was a little light and we had a cup of coffee and waited. And then the the wind started to come on. And as it came on, it was obvious. It was kind of like a light switch. It was on, it was blowing like nine, 10. And (laughs) I started just unzipping the bag was like, how do I do that again? Mm. Like unzipping the bag was this foreign thing. And all the anxiety was just sort of kind of coming on. And at one point, I think I was just standing over my bag, kind of looking at it. And I'd maybe got the zippers off and I'd maybe like pulled half the glider out. And I was just kind of, kind of standing, looking at it. And Phil, Phil comes over and he goes, how you doing? I said, Oh, I'm fine. He's like, are you getting that out of the bag? And I said, yeah, he goes, tell you what? And he saw it right away. And he goes, why don't you stand over here and let me get this out for you. Let me, let me get this set up. And he unzipped the, got the glider out, opened it up and sort of walked me over. He said, what, come on, come on over here. I'll get you in the harness. And I stood there like a sixth grader getting his snowsuit on to go to school. (laughs) And he kind of, yeah, he kind of put it on me and sort of did the buckles. Okay, hope you have a good day, you know. And <laughs> bye, honey. And, uh, <laughs> See you this afternoon. Yeah, bye. <laughs> it was so awesome. It was so great because I was I was kind of frozen. Yeah. Um, and then the then then the muscle memory comes back. The wind came up. I just built a wall, and then that the simple act of just building the wall. It's like, oh yeah, uh, I know how to do this. Yeah. And shukunkunk. 
glider came up, did my turn, launched, and it didn't feel horribly scary. It just felt a little different and it felt there was more consequence, I guess. There's this feeling of consequence that I didn't used to have. Um, and then I just built it back flight by flight. I did a few flights there. Was there a lot of, um, oh shit and weird stuff in your head and, you know, seeing yourself splatter into the rocks kind of stuff, or was it just, okay. no, 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 no. And, and I, and, and that's, that's a really good question. No, but it's front loaded when, when you're in the act of it, it felt more natural when I wasn't in the act of it, when I was preparing to, that's where a lot of the anxiety was. It was that first um, getting the glider out and thinking of, I think I'm going to go fly today. That was the hurdle that took more um, time for me to get over. Once I got over that hurdle and the act of flying felt fun again, then, then it was really, it was, it wasn't simple, but it was simple. It was easier to get back. And that was last winter. So we're about a year later. Are you, are we still country club club flying? Or are we now kind of where, where you at? Where, you know, compared to where you were when you had the accident? Well, I think that the person that, that had the accident definitely always trying to fly something big and long. And I don't know that that's in me so much. I feel like I've, I've done a lot of that flying and I've got some flights that probably will stand for a while. Um, at least one will probably stand for a fair bit of time. Anytime you get over 200 miles, it's going to hold mm -hmm. for a while. You know, that's that kind of rarefied air that I'm very happy and proud to have have figured out how to get past. Um, so I don't feel like I'm chasing those ambitions as much, but what I did this summer was I would get up on a cross country day and I would just say, why don't we fly for four hours? Let's, let's go for four hours. And then how you feel at four hours, you can land or you can keep going. And I remember the first one, I got to the four hour mark and I don't remember what the distance was, but I, um, the day wasn't great. And it was kind of a handful of a day staying, staying up. And I remember thinking four is enough landed and got picked up right away. And, and then the next time that all of a sudden I felt like flying a little mm -hmm. bit more. And then Andy came into town, Andy Dahl came into town and we had this lovely day where we just flew this big triangle. And by the way, I should note, uh, note, I, I also stepped back to a photon initially. That's how I kind of got, uh, my first lights were in the Zena, but it was at a Ridge. Um, but Bill had a good, a good concept. He said, Hey Thad, why don't we get rid of that Zeno you crashed and buy you a new Zeno? And I said, why? And he said, cause that one tried to kill you. Let's just get rid mm. of that one and get one that doesn't have any bad mm. juju, doesn't have any bad mm. feelings. And he said, he said, you know what too? I think that that first batch had issues with cravats that, that I've talked to. He said, maybe I've heard, or I can't remember exactly, but he, he said that I think they've kind of got that dialed out. It might've been a trim thing. I don't know. So we just ordered another one. And, and you know what? I flew the photon on small cross countries throughout the summer, triangles and, and, and smaller, like no more than like five hour flights. Um, and until, until one day, uh, I knew the day was going to be a little tricky for the photon because the photon's not exactly the best light lift sniffing glider. And this was going to be one of those days where it starts light, gets better, and then ends light. And I just knew that the, the, and the Zeno was still sitting in my, on my rack unopened. It was just the box was still sitting there. It had been there for a couple of months. And I knew, oh, I, I want to fly that today. And I wanted to fly it. It wasn't something that mm -hmm. I was trying to get myself 
you know, like I wasn't trying to muscle through it. Yeah, no, I wanted it. And then I flew it and it was fantastic. And then I think from that day forward, I felt like I was back. So it doesn't really sound like you had to battle through a fear injury here. It was more just. I did. I felt that way. Okay. I felt like I battled back. Yeah. Because I, I, you have to remember when you get on launch, you're not really, I mean, I'm, 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 supposing here but you're not really going through a checklist of the dangers of paragliding you're just stoked to go fly and i'm still i'm still checking some of those boxes i'm still feeling the ramifications of this act my first paragliding instructor alan chukalot used to have this great phrase he would say are you ready to commit aviation Mm. and and the first time he said that to me yeah it's a really good one i said what do you mean? He goes, you're deciding whether you're going to get into the air or not. I'm not deciding that for you. Are you ready? Do you feel confident? And do you feel like you're in a good place to commit aviation? And I think that 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 phrase has never had more meaning than perhaps now, because I, there have been physical consequences. I had to go through a long physical recovery. I had to put my wife through my you know, incredibly selfish, long physical recovery. And so, yeah, I'm taking all that into mm. consideration when I'm, when I'm launching mm. now. And so I think there are, there is more of a feeling of, and it was a battle. I was completely, absolutely dead set against probably flying again um, in the early I months, remember Bill saying that, sure. I, I, you know, I've, I've checked in with him many times over the months since the accident, how's dad doing? And, you know, there was definitely a, yeah, not, not too sure he'll do this again. And then, yeah, but. Yeah, he was really, he said some great things, though, as you know, he's such a poet, you know, he can say a lot in a few words. And one of the things he told me was, you know, we're, we're, we're doing an extreme sport in nature. And there are going to be events that could happen in in, in a paraglider. And many times they don't. And sometimes we skirt around it. And sometimes we get hit hard by an event and it has consequences and that's just this we can try to mitigate risk as much as we can but we can't eliminate risk and that was really good for me to hear because it helped me feel like okay this wasn't so much my fault as it was my turn it was my turn to have an event low in the worst possible you know, worst possible time. Now, could I have helped? I could I have helped the odds of my event? Yes. Now that I've really, you know, circumnavigated and thought about this whole thing, I should have been two hands on the brakes, focusing on my glider, focusing on gaining safe altitude where an event couldn't, you know, bother me. And, and I didn't do that. Um, so I, you know, I paid a, a very heavy price and I might've been able to obfuscate this entire issue and I had both hands and maybe checked that, checked that frontal. So, um, I wonder though, I, I wonder don't know, Bill, though if, you know, we, we always talk about that we need cheap mistakes and this was not a cheap mistake. This was, you paid, paid a pretty heavy price, but at the same time, I don't know. Do, do you, do you feel, do you look back and it now and go, yeah, but it was a necessary price. I mean, do you, again, do you think you would have gotten the takeaways yeah. that you have, on life without it. Yeah. No, I, 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 that's why I say, you know, we're, we're all on, I'm not some mystic and I'm certainly not religious. Um, but I definitely feel like, you know, things kind of happen for reasons. And, and those reasons are of course, 
self-motivated. We're, we're putting ourselves in places that cause things to happen, right? It's not like the world is is got this master plan and setting us on it. We, we do things that cause other things to happen. And we all know that we're we're trying not to get injured, but we know that we're in a sport where it could happen just as when I get on my bike and go on a 40-mile road bike ride. I could totally get injured. It's not lost on me. Is it going to happen? Probably not. And it's probably not going to happen when we're in our paragliders and we're, we're flying in weather that's that's within our abilities and we're flying equipment that's within our abilities and we're flying distances that are within our abilities. You know, we, we, we have this checklist of all these things that make us feel comfortable when we're flying. And when we're in situations where we're not feeling comfortable, sometimes we muscle through that discomfort to get to a goal. And sometimes while we're muscling through that, we might get hit, we might not. And then we grow from that. And in this case, I'm kind of growing from the opposite. You know, it's, um, you know, pile driving in the ground. I learned a couple of things. By the way, if you're ever in an airplane and it crashes, you're not going to feel it. That's kind of a little blessing. If I'm in a, you know, Airbus and it goes down, you don't feel it when it hits. You're just, your, your, your light gets punched, you know, you're, you're out. Um, I, I don't have, I wouldn't say that I have less fear, but I guess I have a more, I don't know, realized look at the, the consequences of this because I lived mm-hmm. them and you've lived them. You, you know, the consequences of blowing your knee out, right? You know what that. Is that one of the injuries yeah, you had? Multiple times. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and so you're probably pretty careful with that knee on certain things you do. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting how more how I'm more careful just in general with age. You know, this week I'm getting a colonoscopy and a hernia surgery. You know, welcome to your fifties, dude. And uh, you know, and it's just it's amazing how I how much I operate now. I mean, I just did the X house for the last time in 21. It hasn't been that long, but I'm way more yeah. aware of just because the getting hurt sucks. It's the, there's always the recovery. It, it's, you know, I don't yeah. want to get hurt. Uh, you know, I've been hurt a lot. Yeah. And so you're, you're just more careful, which I think, which is interesting too, because in this sport, that's maybe not, the best approach. I, I I think a lot of times we need to be just absurdly confident and, and yes. you don't, you don't want to be, you don't want to be sitting in the back seat in this sport ever. Uh, no. you know, timidity, timidity, timidity is, is a, a is death, death sentence. sentence. Exactly. And so it's, yeah. you know, it's one of these things where you have to start, you know, you want to be Belcourt, but, you want to be, you know, approaching your sixties and going, I'm going to fucking crush all these kids that are, you know, trying to chase me. I, yeah. I want to be, you know, I want to yeah. go big. And, I and, wanna, I'm uh, going. To I go think big. even though he has he has come to a place of of um, softness in his hardlined mm. approach at, you know, I think that he's realizing. Um, yeah, I'm sixty, coming up on sixty, and 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 I'm not always going to be able to keep banging on it as hard as somebody that's in their twenties. Yeah. You know, and it's not going to. And and moreover, I think that he's he can sit back and look at the achievements of his career with great pride and 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 an understanding that that's a body of work that will last a long time you know um i'm not speaking for him i've just had some conversations with him and and i know that i know that he's in a in a a more retrospective perspective about you know as as you are in when you're when you're getting to be this age um, and, and to your point about confidence, I think that that was one of the things I really had to come to terms with is that I knew I did not want to fly fearful. And in fact, um, 
my wife asked me, how are you doing when I was packing up to leave for that first flight? She said, how are you feeling? I said, the biggest fear I have is being afraid yeah. when yeah, I'm flying. That was my, that was my biggest fear. And that was the best part about that first flight. I wasn't afraid when I was in the air. I was a little bit afraid beforehand because I was afraid that I would be yeah. afraid. And, and it's a real kind of Escher painting feedback loop of, of trouble that you don't want to have. And I was really, really excited that, that that wasn't what I had. I didn't, once I was in the air, everything felt normal again and your muscle memory and the feeling of, of your skill and your awareness of what you were doing came back. Dad, I want to I want to yeah. uh, end here on something I think a lot of listeners can really relate to, or certainly I am at the point in my life where I I can, and I'm just fascinated and curious by this subject. We, we talked about this a little bit before mm -hmm. we we started recording. You, you had this kind of double whammy, but one of them was retirement. You know, you you had this you know very successful business that was your life and kind of defined your life. Uh, maybe there was the paragliding and this and you, you, you sold it and suddenly you've got all this time. You know, at one point you came back into your, your studio, which I can still see behind you. You still got it, obviously. Mm -hmm. You came to the studio and you thought, yeah, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to do something. And you, you explained that, but uh, we, we all get to, hopefully we get to this phase where we, we suddenly have more time and, you know, we can participate in more, pleasure because we're not working all the time but that's that can be a pretty hard transition and a lot of people don't do it very well a lot of people retire and within six months they're dead you know because they suddenly don't they don't have something to right. strive for to achieve for it, it, it that's kind of what we're built as humans we, we do we, we're not very good at uh sitting around no well i think for men i can't speak for women, but I know for men that because I have a lot of people ask me this: Hey, 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 you, 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 you've retired, haven't you? Yeah, I've retired. Hey, how's that going? I'm really, I'm really nervous about that. And I'm like, what are you nervous about? Well, I mean, what will I do? And and I always answer that with whatever you want. Right now, you do what your job tells you to do, or what your career path has you know in store for you. And when you're retired, you get to decide. And I think a lot of people have fear about that they'll that, that they'll have no ideas about what to do with their time and that might be part of what's spinning in your brain a little bit it's like well what am i going to do and i think that what you end up doing first off you talk about that six month paradigm first off i think it's a one-year process i think that from retiring to where you feel comfortable as a retired person is probably a yeah. year because you have to get past all that ego and past all that self-worth stuff. You're also, by the way, while you're retiring, you're also becoming an invisible man in our society anyway, because we're mm -hmm. aging, mm -hmm. right? You're not attractive to women anymore. You're, you're a transparency, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and coming to terms with that and being comfortable with being transparent in our society is kind of step one. Like, nah, it's all right, I'm old. And most of the people below 40 think I'm worthless. Okay. You know, I don't think I'm worthless and, 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 uh, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with their feelings, you know, and I'm not going to let those feelings sort of make me feel negative about myself. So I think you have to come to terms with that too. We're, we're aging, we're disappearing, you know, as, as from being vital, important parts of our society in a way. Um, but 
the career thing is tough because um, we put so much of our self-worth into that, into those accolades, into those achievements. And for me, that was, that was a big thing. I ran this thing. I started something from nothing, created something that employed a, a, a fair number of people and did a fair amount of business per year and, and grew that. And then at its height, sold it. And the, the engine that inside you that did all of that is still purring yeah. away and there's nothing to point it at. It's like this engine that's revving and it's not in gear. You don't have anywhere yeah. to put it. And, and so I think what happens is you have to get that engine to a slower idle. First off, you have to just get that to stop being sort of adrenalized by all of those um, things that all those attributes about you that helped you build that business and strive and succeed are not necessary to strive and succeed in retirement. Yeah. And, and being in a body brace and sitting about um, was a really great sort of um, uh, pressure cooker of, of getting that motor to, to that engine just to start revving at a lower pace. And then, then you've got time to, to figure out, well, what is it that I want to do? And I like to, I like to make things and by things, I just mean anything, whether it's a piece of music or, um, uh, a shed or a greenhouse for my wife or, um, um, paint, I started to paint, uh, and, and like, I, I just want to make something from nothing. That's a really interesting and important thing. Otherwise I feel like I haven't, and I don't need to, re I don't need to come up with a lot of. I don't have to have this big checklist that I've completed by the end of the day for me to feel worth. I can do very little um, uh, in terms of accomplishments and still feel like I've had a good day. If I've, if I've had a good day and I've been around some people and um, I've had some social interaction and I don't know, I don't know, just lived a, a simpler, more quiet life. That's really mm. good. Mm. You know, and if there can be some flying in that, all you know, all the better all the better. And, and, and the risk of that being gone, that's, I think what was really painful was that maybe I've lost my identity as a, as a, you know, a, a functioning working person in our society. And I've lost paragliding, mm. you know, losing both of those two things was, a that was, a, I was my self-worth my, yeah. I, can you imagine what that would feel mm. like? Like if you, if flying wasn't on the table anymore, who are you, mm. Gavin? You know what I mean? Like, what is it that you really, excel at and that's what i was faced with it yeah then who am i and would i be okay and the funny thing is is i got to this place where to get back into flying i got to a place where i was completely comfortable not getting back into flying mm. i felt confident and 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 quiet in my heart without that in my life i could see myself without it and um then i started to crave it and then i found a path back mm. to it but I had to be, it had to be almost off yeah, the table. Yeah, you almost had to kind of throw it away, give it away, hand it off. But yeah. that's, but that's what retirement yeah. is too. So to answer your question, I think that answers it more than anything. You can't see it until you don't have until it. Until you release it. You have to, know. you have to release it and it has to be gone from you. And then you realize, oh, well, I'm actually this guy mm. now. I actually, I care about these things and. Hey, that's okay. You know, I'm. It's, it's, it's all right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. It, it, when, when you realize, okay, but it doesn't have to define me. Fine. Adios. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then you are who you are in, in that phase and you get to be that guy for the rest of, you know, 
till you want to be another guy. And, and I think that we get to invent ourselves. And when we, when we lose sight of that, when we think the world is inventing us or our, our work has invented us, that's when we're misguided. It's like, no, you invent yourself. You decide who you're going to be, how you're going to be, what you're going to be every day. And if that happens to be someone that wants to fly really long distance in a paraglider, awesome. But if you're okay, just flying a pretty good distance in a paraglider, you know, um, then that's really awesome too. And I think that's, I want to make big flights, but it's not going to be the end. It's not going to be the sole reason I get under a paraglider. Um, And maybe that's the perfect thing for a guy that just turned 61, you know, and still feels a little stiff in the morning from that injury. That injury keeps me. And I took my back brace and I, I packed it up and I put it in with like some of my other paraglide equipment. I just kind of keep it in there. It's like a nice little, like, yeah, just that, that was there, you know, don't, don't put that on again. Don't ever be in a place to put that on. Yeah. I like it. Thad. Thanks man. I got one. Yeah. 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 Well, I have one, one really great story that Bill told me when I was, um, uh, in the throes of like trying to figure out what to do. I was like, I don't know what to do. And he's like, well, cause he broke yep. his neck and he wore a halo full on halo, you know, bolted to his yeah, skull. Those things are gnarly. You know how yeah, those yeah. work, right? Nasty. And he said, all I could do was walk. Cause he said that you just, you want to get out and walk. I'm like, all right. Um, he goes, that's all I could do. And it really gave me peace. He said, I got to the point where I was walking like 10 miles a day. And I said, really? Cause I was walking maybe two and I'd be all kind of clammy and sweaty. And, and so he said, yeah, but when I first started walking though, he goes, I go out, it's summer. I got the halo on and it's kind of gray colored. It's kind of like a gray titanium. And he said, all of a sudden in my head, I can start to feel a burning ache, you know, where the bolts connect in. Cause it was taking the oh, heat, God. the metal was heating up and then going into oh, his brain. Man. And so he started to walk with a, he'd just take a t-shirt and lay it on top of the halo. Now, I mean, neighbors, you, you know what he man, looks like. I wish we had a picture of that. Oh. <laughs> and, and he said that on, on late, late in the season, he said wasps would get under the thing. And he said, you couldn't swat. Yeah. You, you, you can't move quickly and swat the wasp away because you're wearing this thing that's bolted your head. You got to be really careful. Oh my God. So he sent me a photo. I will send you this photo. He sent me a photo of him in the, in the halo. And, uh, and he was in that for the same amount of time that I was in my brace and he couldn't, he, he could never take it off. You can take a body brace off when you're laying down, you can take it off and, and, um, sleep without it. And then you put it on when you get up. So at least you got a yeah. respite oh from my God. He, he did yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, really brutal. Anyway, I'm sorry. I wanted to jam oh, that one in because that was a great good story. story. I'm, I'm picturing it, my mind him one walking hear. around Dana Point in Salt Lake City with a wasp-filled heat <laughs> <laughs> heat tent. Uh, Dad, thanks, man. Appreciate it, and uh, I'm I'm glad. Thank you. It's really fun. In, in, interesting 18 months for you. And uh, uh, last time we flew together was out of Blackhawk, so I'm looking forward to wherever we fly together next. Yeah, let's do that again. Cheers, bud. All right. Cheers. If you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable, you can support it in a lot of different ways. You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. 
And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing, a lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind the scenes costs. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks. So for example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it'd be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription. And it makes all of this possible. Uh, I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but I, for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people. And these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, you can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, we've tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, little video casts that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear. We don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us then just let me know and i'll set you up with an account of course that'll be lifetime and hopefully and you're being in a position someday to be able to support us but you'll find all that on the website uh, all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought cloud-based mayhem merchandise t-shirts or hats or anything you should be all set up you should have an account and you should be able to access all that bonus material now thank you so much for listening i really appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next show thank you